Vision Sunday, 2022. Hebrews 13, 7 says this. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that that's something that God's trying to remind us today, right here at My City Church, that God is the same. God is the same, the same thing that he spoke to you years ago, weeks ago, months ago, whatever it may be. He's still speaking today. He's still speaking to you today. He's still speaking to me today. The question that he's asking us is, are we going to take him at his word and are we going to keep believing the same like we did yesterday, today, and forever? Vision is important for us to have, to know where we're going. It's not like a specificity of of saying we're going to do this, 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 and this, but more of a general direction with guardrails. Vision is important for your life because no matter where you set out, no matter what endeavor you set out to set, to set out to accomplish, you're going to find in life that you're going to hit some bumps in the road. And vision can help keep you grounded. That if you set off on a road trip to go to Florida, the Freedom State, hello, and you get a flat tire in Iowa, I don't know why you'd be in Iowa, Missouri, also known as Misery, You don't stop in Missouri because you have a flat tire. And you don't think, well, whatever will be, will be. Hey, looks like I'm camping up in Missouri. No, because you got a vision. You got a mission to get to Florida. And so vision keeps you grounded. In other words, vision gives purpose to your pain. That you can endure weakness in the night because you know in the morning comes joy. You know that in your marriage that you can humble yourself and actually get counseling because you know at the end of it, I'm looking to have a a good marriage. I'm trying to have a good marriage. That's the vision to have a good marriage. You know that in your life, everything that you set out to accomplish, you will always come up against roadblocks. You always have proverbial flat tires in life. And what I know about vision is that vision can help keep us grounded in that. We know that we can live a life of purity if we know at the end there is a reward that God is pleased with us. We know that we can endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, knowing that the testing of our faith is creating perseverance and that God is working in me. See, vision is critical to your life. Otherwise, you just float whatever, whatever, what's the next thing that I'm going to do tomorrow? You gotta have some kind of revelation in your life that you're pursuing, something that you're going after. Otherwise, you'll live frustrated. You'll live disappointed. You'll live sad, disheartened. And you'll think, what is the point of all of this? But I wanna be able to share with you today on this topic of vision. And I can't help but share with you from Hebrews 13, 7. I ask God, is there some other things that you want to share? Do you want to share maybe about, you know, the promised land and, you know, the 12 spies, people going to the promised land. Do you want to share something like that, God? And God says, no. I just want something simple. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Because I'm still working. 
So I can't help but when Hebrews says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their ways and imitate their faith. And then right after that, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Many of us know that second part, but we don't know what led up to that. If remembering your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And I can't help but think that people that have gone before us in this city and in this world, that we're living in the fruit of someone else's seeds. Whether we realize it or not, we are living in the product of someone else's sacrifices. We are living in the answered prayers of the grandparents and the parents who have gone before us, the prayers that were prayed for you. The word of God says, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I tell you that there's a perfect will in heaven and God is calling us people to enact that will on earth. And this has happened before. We've seen revival spark across this nation time and time again. And I just wanna take a moment to share with you just a handful of revivals that have happened in the United States and just, just a little bit of a glimpse of what God has done before. The year is 1830, Rochester, New York. Charles Finney started preaching fiery messages of repentance. This became known as the beginning of the Second Awakening. Because of this revival that was sparked through Finney, there was, about, there was brought about the anti-slavery movement as well as the Underground Railroad, the establishment of women's rights, the Salvation Army Adventist Movement, and the YMCA. Hello. But one of the men attending that revival was a man by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere. In 1857, he was a businessman and he decided to partner with what God was doing in his generation. After working in business for over 20 years at age 49, he got hired as a local missionary by the North Dutch Church on Fulton Street in New York City. He saw that there was a great need for God in those days. Then one day, God gave him an inspired idea on how to reach the people. He decided to host a Wednesday prayer meeting for businessmen from 12 to 1 p.m. He passed out flyers and began to spread the word. He encouraged people to come for no matter how long they were able to pull away, whether it be five minutes, 10 minutes or more, he welcomed them all to come and engage in prayer with him. During the first, first meeting, Jeremiah prayed alone and no one showed up. Until 12.30, the first businessman joined him in prayer, then another and another, until he had six people join him for the first day. That was enough, say that was enough. That was enough for him to see there was a need for prayer and that God was on it. He didn't despise the day of small beginnings but leaned into what God was doing. They planned another prayer meeting for the following Wednesday. This time, 20 men showed up. Then the following week, 40, he had to move to a bigger room. He started this prayer meeting in early September, not knowing that on October 10th, 1857, the stock market would crash. People would lose everything in a matter of moments, and desperation for God increased. Soon, these prayer meetings were not just weekly, but they were daily. In a short time, there were crowds of up to 3,000 people joining the Fulton Street prayer meeting. People from all different kinds of classes joined in. The revival sparked throughout the entire nation of prayer meetings, 12 to 1, during their lunch break. It was made up of people from all different denominations. It was a lay person's revival. 
There was a prayer meeting for souls and within a year it was estimated that over one million people got saved. Shortly after this, the Civil War began. It ended in 1865 following the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. The vulnerability of humanity is clear. The backdrop has provided the opportunity for many to see the need for Christ. Hello. The backdrop provided the need for many to see their need for Christ. D.L. Moody responded to this and he began to do a Bible study for children in the street. It grows to such a substantial number whereby even president-elect Abraham Lincoln attended it at one point. He went on to establish Moody Bible Church and Bible Institute and went to preach around the country to more than 100 million people. A person following him also wrote over 6,000 hymns. Can I tell you, there's a, there's, there's a, a spirit of worship that follows revival. You guys may have not known it or not, but the second song that we sung today is a My City original. That's a worship song. Because I believe that My City is called to write music that will impact a generation. Not only that, but to shift culture. I believe we're called to do that. We're not called just to, just, to, just to sing songs, but we're called to create. Because I see the influence that music has on culture. I say, let's use this for good. Fifty years later, in 1906, a man by the name of William Seymour was invited to preach at a church in Los Angeles. There he preached about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Following his visit, Seymour began to hold Bible studies in the home of one of the members of the congregation. Also known as the Bonnie Bray House, meetings were held with over 1,500 people in a house that spanned only 2,500 square feet. Some of y'all complaining, well, we got four kids. Now, how are we going to fit all of us in here? As word spread about what was happening, larger and larger crowds began to form, not only of African Americans, but also Latinos and whites. This in a time when segregated church services were the norm. Can I tell you, when the Holy Spirit falls, division becomes unity. In need of a facility, the group rented a rundown building on 312 Azusa Street in downtown Los Angeles. The building was used to house the main meeting room, offices, a prayer room, and lodging. Today, it's recorded that over 600 million Christians, about 25% of Christians worldwide, all carry roots within their denominations from this one revival. The industrial age is in full force about 50 years later, and Darwin is reshaping our sense of the value of history and future accomplishments. This is where Billy Graham enters the scope with vigor. He has crusades that start in Los Angeles that catch the attention of the press. He goes on to hold more than 400 crusades in 185 countries, attracting arena-sized crowds, broadcasting many crusades on television. Graham is one of the many to see the frame of culture before the wars and certainly after World War II. He represents the preaching arm of revival. His work is careful to include the local church because he knows the outgrowth of his movement is not isolated to him preaching, but designed to be a stimulus for strong church participation and discipleship. It's recorded that over 35 million people in the U.S. hear him preach. That's one in six people and 215 million worldwide. 1967, about 50 years ago, drawn by national-wide publicity, over 100,000 youth came to 8 Ashbury during the spring and early summer. This is also known as the summer of love. Many became homeless, hungry, and sick. Pastor John McDonald and Ted Weiss decided to do something to help. The reasons behind the rise of the hippie movement were complex, 
Many think it was a rejection of conformity and materialism in American culture and the emergence of a drug culture and sex both played a part. With the assistance of several fellow pastors in the Bay Area, McDonald established a coffee house, house called The Living Room. With simple worship and a call for people to come to Jesus just as they are, the movement began. Eventually, the presence of Jesus people attracted national publicity, and by 1971, the movement became the religious story of the year by Time Magazine. The rock-fueled enthusiasm of the Jesus people for upbeat music created contemporary Christian music industry. As the years passed, hymns, choirs, and organs were increasingly replaced in many churches with praise chorus, worship bands, and electric guitars. And all my 80s rock people said, yeah. At the, ed- at the, end, at the height of the movement, of the Jesus people movement, it is estimated that over three million people were involved across the United States. Can I tell you that God is still in the business of revival? Do you believe that today? We have seen movements of God over the past 200 years. And what I deduce from these stories is that God is in the business of transforming societies. But in order for him to transform a society though, the people of such societies must admit their need for him. And in order for society to see its need for God, it must come to the end of its own endeavors. In a time where society is trying to answer all the world's problems without God, we are seeing that time and time again, the answers people are seeking come up empty without Jesus. We see this in the Jesus people movement of sex and drugs. We see this in the end of the Civil War and racial division in Azusa Street. People are searching for answers. People are searching for purpose. And whether you realize it or not, 50 years after the Jesus movement began, people are once again reaching the end of their rope, trying to find the answers to life without God. We are in the middle of an exhaustion of society. And the exhaustion of society lays the foundation for revival. Can I tell you, church, that a culture of despair will always cultivate a people who crave for revival. So when you see times get tough, look at it as an opportunity. What I can gather from the information that we are receiving today across this world is that people today are ready for revival, whether they realize it or not. And I believe that my city church is planted in Omaha for such a time as this. And what I see in this room is a bunch of people who have a part to play in this revival. We shared this at at this morning team prayer. I found it coincidental, highly unlikely. Do I feel like God is speaking? Yes, I do. Ephesians 5.14 says this. This is what it is said, why it is said to wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Can I tell you, for far too long, the church has been asleep. For far too long, the church has been on the sidelines watching the world go to hell. Can I tell you that Christ is looking for a people that will say, wake up. And when you wake up, you will find that Christ will shine on you. Isn't that the goal of all of us, to make Jesus known? Sometimes we gotta wake up to make him known. I believe that this church will grow as the pace of the people being available for God to use them. In this place, can I tell you that there's a place that, there's a part that you can play in this revival. And it'll move at the pace of your yes, of you being available because we're believing for thousands to come to know Christ. We're not just in this just for a a, a little gig, just to have church. We're believing for a city to be changed. 
We still believe that God has called My City Church to be a large, Christ-centered, Bible-based church that influences cities towards Christ. We believe that God has called this church to influence this city towards Christ. What that looked like, I don't know. Music, maybe. Government, possibly. School system, has to be. There's gotta be something. Because when I know when revival comes, a reformation follows. When people turn to God, they find ways to walk in what God has for them. And I believe that in this church that we're still called to lift up Jesus in the city by loving people, empowering leaders in every sphere of life. Do you believe that we are called to lift up Jesus in this city? I believe no matter where we're at, whether in this church, whether we consider ourselves a core part, or hey, this is your first week here, or I got to meet someone, it's her second week back, two weeks in a row. Hello, nice job. Two weeks in a row. Let's go. I believe God changes our lives one week at a time. He's gonna keep working in your life, but I believe that we're still called to lift up Jesus in this city. And I can't help but read through all of these revivals in years past and see how they all are about 50 years apart. And we've been about 50 years since the Jesus People Movement has struck the nation. And I believe that this year we're called to say, like, God, when we're standing on his promises, we're called to ask that question, God, why not here? Why not us? I'm gonna tell you God responds to his people. He responds to his people, his people that desire to see him above every other name be lifted high in this city. And I tell you that God responds to his people. God responds to the prayers of his people. Grandmas, grandpas, God responds to your prayers. Moms and dads, God responds to your prayers. Junior high students, high schoolers, kids, God's responding to your prayers for your city, for your schools. God is responding to your prayers. Sometimes it's multi-generational. For some of you, what this may look like, how can you be a part of this revival that God is doing? Something really simple. It's very simple. I believe we can overcomplicate it way too much. Way too much. But I just want to give you some really practical steps. This group week. Part about being a part of the church, hey, make a commitment to being on a group, being in a group. Say, hey, I'm going to be a part of the body of Christ. Not just in Sunday, but midweek where we can strengthen each other, sharpen each other, challenge one, one another. Maybe you've been a part of a group. Maybe the next thing for you is to consider leading a group. But asking God, use me. And God's saying, I'm giving you opportunities left and right. Can I tell you that as people respond to God, God says, I can use that. As people become available, God says, I can use that. I'm convinced that revival won't come through a bunch of of, of perfect people, educated people, but a bunch of ordinary people that say, God, whatever you need. Some of us may look at, hey, serving on a team. It may make, mean serving in kids, serving a cup of coffee. Maybe it's on worship. What I can say is the culmination of all of us coming together saying, God, use me, turns into a movement. Whatever it takes, God. If you need me to start at a coffee house on a thing called the living room, I'll do it. Whatever it takes, God. You mean to start a little Bible thing for, for, for little school-age children, then let, let it so be. I'll do it. 
You need me to start a prayer meeting at 12 o'clock so that businessmen can come and pray during their lunch break? Then so be it. Can I tell you, God responds to simple, but he's looking for available people. Some of us maybe look like giving financially, whatever that may be. Whatever you put on your heart, God puts on your heart to give. And I believe that in this church, I wanna make it as simple as possible. And that's through the four G's that we've been talking about. It's gathering, growing, giving, and gifting. Every single one of us will fall into that. And I believe that as we enact those things, the gathering together on a Sunday, the growing together in group, but not just in group, but your own personal life, and your own relationship with God, listening to the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit, the obedience to Christ. Can I tell you, no eye has seen what God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose and walk with him. And you do that through your Bible reading. You do that through your prayer. You do that. You can listen to worship music in your car. You don't always have to listen to 1110 KFAB. You don't always have to. You can worship when you wake up. You can throw it on your phone. You can YouTube some good worship music. Giving, third of Jesus' ministry was about money because Jesus knows that it's a lot easier to trust money than God. And we don't give out of compulsion, but in response to the revelation that he has given us so much. Last one is gifting. Because understand that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see revival in Omaha. Whatever it takes. Whether it be a coffee, pulling a trailer, setting up, kids, watching kids, playing an instrument, if you guys would let me. I don't think you guys want me to. I'll do whatever it takes. When I take whatever it takes, I believe God will bless the worship of our hands. On your seat was a card. It's a vision card. It says, this year I'm standing for. I believe this year our church is called to stand. We're called to stand on the promises of God. We're called to stand for the church. We're called to stand for our nation. We're called to stand for our family. We're called to stand for our, our friends. I believe that we are called to stand for those already. But I want you to take a moment. I want you to take a moment and just ask God, God, where do you want me to stand? How do you want me to stand, God? And I wanna just give a moment between you and God. Just take a moment and hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, I want you to stand and believe in me in that, that dream that I gave you 25 years ago that you gave up on. I feel like God's talking to someone in here. He's like, you stop standing on that. And I need you to start standing on that again.